Welcome into Weekly Neurosis. I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. And this is Weekly Neurosis. Another week. And this week we're obsessed with train. Oh. Or trains. Or just train. Just train. Uh, so this is, of course, the band. The band train. No, just kidding. I like that. Nothing nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with some train. Don't knock it till you try it. Um, but uh, an overview of this episode, uh, since this is the train episode, mm. uh, we watched the movie Girl on the Train. Mm hmm. Uh, and the album is Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. Oh, classic. Classic indeed. And then our beer of the week kind of melds the two together. It's Fatal Attraction. I would say it's pretty much solely connected to the movie. To the movie, actually, yeah. Blood, well, you Attraction, know what? Fatal. Not just that, but the album. You know what? You're right. Because the album Blood on the Tracks is all about like love and romance and passion. and Yeah. So I get it. Oh, yeah. Fatal Attraction. But from the wonderful Tyrania... Isn't Brewing it Tyranina? Tyranina. Ty- Ty- I thought it was Tyrania. Well, I think it could be Tyranina, both. Tyranina, whatever. But anyways, yeah, and a shout out to my my guys at um, University, what was that called? It's a liquor store that recommended this this brand to me. And I, oh, I've had a lot of their beers before. I've had their Bitter Woman IPA, which is excellent. I've had their Rocky Mountain something or other. It's more of a... Rocky's Revenge. Rocky's Revenge, that's right. And then uh, I've had this one before, then the Fatal Attraction, which this one is uh, styled as an American black ale. And how about I read their lovely and very seductive um, description that's on the uh, bottle here. You can actually hear it pouring. That was beautiful. Well, you had to say something over the back and just ruin it. Okay, so her (laughs) perfume seduced you, but deep down, you know she's dangerous. You enjoy the experience and she, as she reveals her black heart and bitter soul. This girl is crazy. She stalks you, tries to destroy you until she finally is gone. Foreclosed upon you. Time to get another. That's it. That's all it says. But it's a, it's a, so what? It's a black, it's an imperial black IPA. So generally that means it's going to be kind of a blend of an IPA and like a stout or a porter. Sometimes I think with the, with the blacks like that, it can be hard to tell if they're going... Stout or porter, when they call it just a straight-up black ale. I, I don't know. I, I think that's its kind of its own thing, a black ale, but I always kind of feel like it's always got the more portery thing going on in it. And, uh, like, brewing experts could correct me, but I believe black IPAs are kind of a new thing. Fair in terms of the, like, a, being a type of beer, I think it's pretty new. I know New, new Glarus does one. They do the black top. Yep. Um, 
Which is excellent. Yeah, that's a good I don't one. know if that's an Imperial, though. This is an Imperial. So this comes, this puppy comes in at like 8.5% alcohol. So it's stronger than I think some other IPAs might be or, you know, a little bit higher than the, the average beer. So you don't want to drink too many of these and go, you know, go for a... A spin in your <laughs> automobile and or golf cart. Yeah. Um, no, but this, uh, this is kind of interesting. And this is, a, I think, a series they've done for a long time. The mm-hmm. Brewer's Gone Wild. Um, I know they have a, a few other... They have a double IPA. Um, that I've tried. I don't recall what that's called, but this is good. It's kind of a good, again, like you said, a meld between that stout and IPA, in this case, an imperial IPA. Yeah. I'm, <clears throat> I actually really like the pairing because I think some people already struggle with IPAs, and when you pair it with a dark beer, you really have uh, something that's probably not for the, the craft beer newbie, but um, it's really good. Yeah, and it's definitely, I would say this is... M- to me, I get more of the hoppiness in it, but yeah. it definitely finishes with a nice smoky, chocolatey flavor that definitely has that roasted malt element to it. Yeah, I get the the stout on the finish, and again, pretty hoppy though. Super which is good. Yeah. I mean, I like hops. Yeah, me too. But yeah, usually, usually with beers, you get people that are like heavy stout people, and there's like hop heads like me, and you kind of you're into IPAs, mm-hmm. uh, but then you also get like the sours people. Yeah, because I know so I know a lot of people who are really into beer, but they they'll say like I don't like IPAs though, or I don't like stouts or porters, and that's fine. But I don't have like a line like that. Like I I've never really had. I mean, there's I've had bad beer. Certainly, I've had you know good and bad beers of all styles. But I don't have like a whole style that I avoid. Yeah, I think you're kind of the same way. I'm yeah, I'm an equal opportunity drinker. So. <laughs> If it's out, I mean, honestly, I'll try whatever's out there. I'll, I'm not a, I will say I'm not, and I, I, it's not that I will not try it. I'm just not a huge fan of sours. Okay. I've just, sour, like, I've just never been I really think, into that. I don't, yeah. It's just not a, a taste that I like. And people are kind of shocked because they think, you know, IPAs are bitter. They Sometimes they can be kind of sour, but it's kind of a different ball game for me. Yeah, I think sour beers are sort of the area I'm least first in when it comes to beer. I think the, the last sour beer I had, we might, did we ever have one? We had a barley wine on the podcast from Langunitas, yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't think we've... I don't, no, I don't think we've ventured into the I sours. really the only sour beer that I can remember trying was when I was in Minnesota earlier this year, uh, and I went to Surly, and I had their Pentagram, mm-hmm. which they call Pentagram because it's 6.66% alcohol metal. Ooh, yeah. clever. But, uh, no, and that, and that was a delicious sour beer. I actually had a glass of that with my dinner, and it was quite tasty. It tasted yeah. more like wine than beer. And I feel like sours are more, and again, I could be wrong, but I feel that they're more of like a meal pairing deal. Like IPAs, you always see like menus where they're like, oh, try the IPA with this. Mm-hmm. I think IPAs are kind of a standalone deal. They might be able to complement certain things, but yeah, yeah. I know the brewers have always tried to kind of make it a combo deal, you know, kind of trying to be wine because wine's really famous for like, oh, it pairs with this, pairs well with this. I think beer can be, can be the same way. Oh, yeah, it can be. And I think it's like more the, I've seen a lot more of like the flavored, like um, Ballast Point, like they have a ton of flavored beer. I actually just had um, in Madison a barbecue joint. They did a like a pairing. It was like a flight deal that I did. And it was with, uh, there were two or three Ballast Point ones to emphasize like spicy with sweet, hmm. which is really interesting. Uh, I did the Chili Wahoo. They're... Ver- they're Beer, which was like 
balls hot, but it was super good and it paired up really well with, with what we had going on. Have you had their pineapple sculpin before? I have. I think that is the most pleasant beer on the face of the yeah, earth. Yeah, that is by far my favorite of their sculpin IPAs. Yeah. The only problem I have with Ballast Point and the reason I haven't had it in a while is because it's too, it's too damn expensive. Yeah, and I understand pricey. distribution in that. Although I, I feel like at this point, Ballast is big enough where their prices could drop, but their name is they're sort of a name so they can charge more, which kind of rubs me the wrong way because. I almost, I've, I mean, I don't know how many times I've almost bought a six pack of pineapple sculpin because it's so damn good. But I, then I look, sixteen bucks for a f- six pack. Ugh. Yeah, it's hard to justify. It is, but just that is such a pleasant beer. It's so good. It's, I, uh, oh. I think I, I, you know, the habanero was my favorite, but the the grapefruit is. I kind of feel like that's like their flagship sculpin you know yeah I mean? well, it's so that's a really popular one, and I think that kind of kicked off. You, you see, you see a lot like. That was the first beer that blew up. That was a grapefruit, like true, honest to goodness grapefruit IPA. And now it's like everywhere you turn. Yeah. Grapefruit IPA, grapefruit IPA. Sam Adams has a grapefruit IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we did a, wasn't it Rebel Brewing or Renegade? Renegade. They have a grapefruit triple IPA that I've been meaning to get my hands on. That, though, is like sixteen ninety nine for a four pack of Ugh. cans. Ugh. So it's like, ah, oh, come on. Yeah. No, the the one beer from Ballast Point I've had that I did not care for was their what what was it watermelon Durango Dorado. Yeah, and I tasted that. I think I had that. I gave that to you in like a little birthday. Basket yeah, yeah. Thing I, and, I, yeah. I was at, it was at spring break this year. I brought that, and I it was early in the day, and I wanted a good potent beer, and that thing's sitting at like ten percent. So I poured it into a glass, and I enjoyed it when we were sitting outside. And I mean, it was fine, but it was just. It, it had one watermelon. I don't think I've ever tasted something that wasn't actually watermelon that tastes like watermelon. It was like that fake watermelon flavor, and then booze. That's yeah. like all it tasted like to me. Well, that was a double. Was that a double IPA? I don't even know. Yeah, I just remember it tasting like fake watermelon. And I, I got a metallic, slight metallic flavor from it because I had it at um, Basil's. But anyhow, on to um, our definition of oh, the yeah, theme shit. this week. We went into the wormhole there. Yeah, sorry. sorry. We could do that for probably an hour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Easy. Um, but train, um, it's a verb and a noun. So we'll go through all these definitions here. Uh, the verb is to teach a person or animal a particular skill or type of behavior through practice and instruction over a period of time. Um, the second is to point or aim something, typically a gun or camera, at um, and the noun is a series of railroad cars moved as a unit by a locomotive or by integral motors and a succession of vehicles or pack of animals traveling in the same direction. Mm. Interesting. So what does train mean to you? Well, I think just because I think when we're, when we're talking about train, obviously the girl in the train is, kind of, I think, where we kind of got that. Yeah. <laughs> and we sort of built everything else around that. Um, so I guess the first thing I think of is, uh, you know, a a motorized mechanical vehicle sort of uh i think a train is somewhat of like an antiquated form of travel it's not as common anymore it used to be like the main the forum thing, yeah. of how to travel long distances in relatively short periods of time um so but i think more nowadays when i think of trains i think of more like industrial agricultural transportation and less so people um, and I guess that's kind of a neat thing. And I know some, there's like people in the world who are super into trains and are like fascinated by the different companies that produce trains and the different technology and stuff. I also think of coal, like burning coal. I always picture like a dirty guy in like a striped shirt 
like shoveling coal into a hot engine, like in Back to the Future, where they're right. just yeah. And then, um, I guess in the other context, there's like the like the tr- like the verb uh, portion of the word train, which is to train for something to you know whether it be physical. You know, something, so, some sort of exercise or some sort of mental training. So I think it's got, it's a cool word. Train. Train. What about you? <laughs> well, yeah, I thought a lot of the same stuff. Um, kind of a motorized, I almost look at it like in terms of American history, kind of like an ancient mm-hmm. mode mm-hmm. Of, of transportation. It's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, same thing, kind of this motorized, coal-driven thing i know coal is kind of not the the greatest thing for the environment and all that jazz but and then yeah the the whole thing to teach learn the coal work. union is gonna shut this podcast down yeah we're done now we should just stop recording no but yeah this has been weekly no, this, no. Been, <laughs> this is um and i actually have a weird association with this word because when i a company i worked for um a recruiting company here in appleton my nickname was actually train Oh, sure. Because um, for a very long time, my name, or for like the first week, it said Nate dash train. Like, oh, we're training Nate. Right. Like to learn stuff. So like Nate train, that kind of has a good, good ring to it. So for a good, the, you know, two years that I was at that company, my nickname was train. And if I'm wrong here, your podcast before this here, this Weekly Neurosis. This called Train and Smith. Yeah. So really, really in, kind of an associate. When, when I saw this, I was like, yeah, it works. And I was like, wait a second. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I, it's, such a, it's such a weird thing. And I kind of seconding what you said, there are people that are like mega into trains. Like I know there are guys and women too, I'm sure, that will ride on trains and just like record. Like they'll sit there with like a, a recorder and record the sound of a train running. That's so weird. And that's what they'll like listen to to relax and stuff like that. That's so fucking that's weird. A weird that's, a, that's a real thing. It's out there. Huh. And then I think, of course, of Christmas trains. I guess when I think of people obsessed with trains, I think of people who are like fascinated by trains. Like, yeah. Because there's this hilarious video that went viral a couple of years ago of this dude who loves trains. Like he, he's into all the history and stuff in some like super, apparently some famous train that was in this museum, they refurbished it and they actually put it on the track to run it. And this video is this guy going to like this quote unquote grand rerunning of this train. And he's like the only guy there. And he's just like, yeah, yeah. And when it blows its horn, he's like, oh my God. He's just freaking out. That's what I think about. <laughs> uh, I got to show you that sometime. Everybody look it up. Look, look, Google like guy freaking out on train. And that's what I think of. Some dude who's just like <laughs> loves trains. And it's like the funniest thing ever. <laughs> I know people under like well, the real trains, but then there's like model trains too. Oh yeah, that's a big thing. I was thinking the of, toy like, trains, yeah, like Christmas, yeah, and and stuff like that. There's always like model trains running around. A- One of my uh, wife's uncles has uh, in their basement like a full like it runs throughout their whole basement. It's like a an intricate chain, train track that's all electronic with multiple tracks, and they can oh, turn wow. it on and stuff. They they love it. It's super cool, and it's like a permanent fixture. Yeah. Wow. They built it. It goes all the way around their basement, like up near the ceiling, you know, around the wall. It's pretty cool. I think no matter what, and it's not something you could like do as a hobby necessarily, but I think as an adult, no matter what, you're kind of, you have to be kind of a little bit infatuated by that. Like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I just saw a screenshot of the video of the guy who loves trains. <laughs> guy who loves trains. Oh my God. Freaking it's called, out. if anybody's interested, look up, go to YouTube and look up Excited Train Guy. I'm going to watch this video on the break. Oh, my God. It's so funny. 
I guess if you're again, I'm not a. I, I would say to each their own. But oh yeah, you know it's Dude, like it's it's a, you can get. He's. I'm like yeah. that at a concert. Yeah, it's I'm just as valid as anything, and, man. Yeah. I, I I sit on my ass and watch movies all the time and spend hundreds of dollars on concert tickets. If somebody loves trains, go wild, bro or lady. Just do you. Do it. It's America. All right. And now we're going to talk about trains. And now we're going to talk about trains for a straight hour, and then beer for the next hour, <laughs> an hour or two. Um, no, we got an awesome episode. So when we come back, what we're going to do is review our movie of the week, Girl on the Train. In the break, you're going to hear the trailer. Lots of like whispers. Yeah. And, like rich white people being like, I have so many problems. I have so many problems. And then trains, there'll be the sound of like a train, like the, what's that called? Choo, choo, no, they shocking? do like the, the sound of the tracks, like the... I don't know. What's a what's a wheel of a train called? I don't even a know. Wheel? That. A wheel. A wheel. You just wheel. said it. A wheel of a train. On the tracks. Go so around. like you're like a for sure. You think so? <laughs> It'll be an, a drunk Emily Blunt slurring. <laughs> Where's my cheese platter? No. <laughs> <laughs> so when we come back, we'll review our movie of the week, Girl on the Train. From a popular book, and of course, do all the other regular stuff, including by the numbers in our weekly guessing game, where we guess. We still haven't come up with a good name for it. I'm looking to you right now. No, <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> no, all right, weekly notes will be right back. I used to watch this perfect couple. They were the embodiment of true love. I want to start my life over again. I saw her. I saw her from the train. She was she was with this man. Just for a second. Is this her? To a woman so Can you tell me where you were Friday night? I was in the city, and then I went to visit my husband. Yeah, listen to that bell. Oh, take a look at that. Oh, my God! Listen to that horn! Oh, my God! Oh, she's beautiful! (laughs) (laughs) All right, that is the... Excited train guy. Excited train guy. Really excited about that train. And this week, our movie of the week, hmm. The Girl on the Train. She wasn't on that train, She though. was not. Okay, so this week is The Girl on the Train. Oh, God, so funny. Okay, so the plot of this movie. Commuter Rachel Watson, Rachel Watson catches daily glimpses of a seemingly perfect couple, uh, Scott and Morgan, from the window of her train. One day, Watson witnesses something shocking unfold in the backyard of the stranger's home. That's actually incorrect. Wait, no, I guess she does see into the backyard, right? Yeah, it's like the backyard, the backyard I kind of figured, I'm dumb, I kind of thought it was the front because I'm stupid. Anyways, Rachel tells the authorities what she thinks she saw after learning that Megan is now missing and feared dead. Unable to trust her own memory, the troubled woman begins her own investigation while police suspect that Rachel may have crossed a dangerous line. Um, This movie stars Emily Blunt, Haley Bennett, Rebecca Ferguson, Justin Theroux. I think our second movie with Justin Theroux, he was also in Mahala Drive. Yep. 
uh, Luke Evans of The Hobbit fame. Yeah. And Edgar Ramirez. Uh, it was directed by Tate Taylor. Screenplay was written by Aaron Cressida Wilson, which was based on the novel, the popular novel by Paula Hawkins. Music was done by Danny Elfman, and it was edited by Andrew Buckland and Michael McCuster. Um, filming for this movie was done entirely in the state of New York, mostly in New York City itself. And some kind of fun side notes here. Um, Kate Mara, Chris Evans, Jared Leto, and Margot Robbie were all attached to this film at one point or another. But ultimately, the roles were given to other individuals. And also, I thought this was kind of neat. In real life, Emily Blunt uh, was pregnant during the filming of this movie, which is somewhat ironic if you've seen the movie and know what her character is going through. That's true. Yeah. Very ironic. So, Nate, what did you think about the girl on the train? Well, I was a little bit lukewarm about this this movie. I thought uh, it was a little bit on the dull side in certain points, and I did not read the book. I didn't have a, an opinion at all. I actually, up until really kind of watching the trailer, I had no idea what the film was about because I didn't know, or the book was about because I just thought it was about some story about some person on a train. wasn't really sure that it was a murder mystery or what it was. So, um, I think this this film kind of lives and dies. Um, by Emily Blunt. I think sure her character and her acting was nothing short of incredible. Um, it has some exciting points. It keeps you interested for the most part, but the in between those interesting points, um, I thought it really, really dragged. Um, I thought the kind of the character acting was pretty good for the most part. Um, it does keep you guessing, but if you have kind of a a common sense about films, you get through a little ways and you kind of figure out what's going on, but. Uh, you know, overall, I thought it was a little bit entertaining. I think it'll it'll do a good business in the in the theaters. How about you? Um, yeah, I thought it was fine. Like it was okay. I think it was. I mean, I'm. This is not the kind of movie I, I, I would normally see in theaters. But um, you know, we had to pick something. Yeah. Um, I thought it was okay. I mean, it was it was it was entertaining, and I think, like you said, it it for the most part kept me engaged. Like there was no way I was gonna turn this off or walk out or anything because i had to see what was happening but uh definitely on the dull side i think this movie was entirely too predictable for how long it was which was just under two hours i believe and it is most certainly carried by emily blunt absolutely she's phenomenal in this movie and everybody else is just kind of okay um yeah which was kind of a bummer because there's a pretty uh, dynamic group of characters here i think and um I don't know, outside of some of the the stylistic things in the movie itself and how it was made, I just, I was pretty bored by it for the most part. And when it was over, I feel like in like three weeks, I'll <laughs> forgot I ever saw this. Well, and they, I mean, they had such a good cast. I mean, Justin Thoreau can act. We know that from experience. And, and Edgar Ramirez, too, is an exceptional actor. Mm-hmm. Um, Hilly Bennett, Rebecca Ferguson. I mean, I've seen them in other stuff, but... I thought those other two, those, you know, Justin uh, Thoreau and Edgar Mears, I mean, they, their characters were just so blah. And they didn't really, they, didn't, they never took them above kind of base level until um, one of the two of them, it's not a spoiler there, um, towards the end. But, yeah, just, just in general, the acting, I mean, the story kind of just rolls along as you go. I mean, and, and like I said, there's certain little pinpoints in the plot that kind of keep you very oh oh, okay this has gotten this got interesting and then it's drags and oh another interesting point drags um then it kind of goes through that progression yeah i mean i just i i i guess i had i'm with you i had no idea what this was about i'd never read the book i don't even think i saw like i if i saw a trailer i wasn't paying real close attention to it but um 
man, 20 minutes into this, I was just like, oh, okay. Because yeah. it's a lot of super melodrama, a lot of kind of lifetimey, hallmarky type s- stories going on about, you know, and it's certainly real life stuff of not being able to have children and, and divorce. And, and, you know, these are all very real life things, but it just seems so melodramatic and I don't know. It, it just didn't interest me a whole lot. So while I wanted to see how everything played out at no point in this movie, was I like emotionally connected to anything that was going on? Yeah. Cause you're kind of kept, kept on the, like on the very surface of what's going on. And I think that the problem with this is they didn't capture like the reality and it's hard. That's exceptionally hard to do of a lot of those like life moments, like trying to get pregnant and doing it. It's, it's hard to capture, you know, in unless you're like filming a documentary, right? you know, so a lot of them felt kind of like these canned, you know, moments where they're like, okay, go. You, mm-hmm. know, you act like you're doing this and stuff. And that cry. is really... Cry. Sit there and cry, which was 90% of this movie. Yeah. But I think, to me, with this film, it's almost like... I almost feel disappointed for Emily Blunt. Yeah. Because she had such... Just an absolute... Just cannonball of a performance. Yeah. That, I mean, it carried the film, but then again, the film didn't quite equal up to her performance, which is really, really... I mean, if there would have been one, I think, one more solid acting performance, we're talking about a, a little bit of a different film here. Yeah, she was... I mean, she was fantastic, and her... This is no spoiler. Her character is uh, an alcoholic, to say the least. She has a lot of issues, and, uh, you know, the movie really does focus on her, and she is great, but she doesn't really have anybody to play off of. Well, I don't think any of the characters themselves were necessarily terrible or anything i just kind of felt like nobody was doing anything spectacular and for this movie that was i mean it it, to me i thought it was going to be a much more hard-boiled movie so many people are comparing this to something like gone girl or side effects um i think those are much better movies and i think sort of tackle similar thematic things in better ways but outside of emily blunt's performance my other major positive with this movie was sort of the style it was done in which it's nothing new or unique, but the movie, first of all, is not linear. It does have sort of kind of a weird timeline of junk, jumping forward and backward in time on about a six-month period, I think is what it focuses on. Um, and it does this kind of cool thing where there's lots of sort of fever dream, non-sequitur moments. Like when she's trying to, she's an alcoholic and she's trying to remember things that happened to her when she was very drunk. Um so she's remembering things in this sort of fog and this sort of haze, or she's remembering things and maybe they didn't happen that way, but she doesn't know. The whole movie sort of had this kind of weird fever dream about it where it would just flash to something for a second, and you're not sure if she's if that's something that happened or if it's just how she remembered it. So I, I like those elements in the movie because it kind of put you in Emily Blunt's character. Her name was Rachel in the movie. It put you in Rachel's shoes. And you could kind of see how confusing and strange this would must be for somebody in that mindset. And I thought that was the ultimate strength of this movie was I kind of felt as confused as she was to an extent. Because I fig- I f- pretty much figured out what was happening about halfway through this movie. But yeah. I appreciated that. It wasn't anything crazy or amazing. But I at least appreciate that there was something. At least it wasn't just this totally dull, linear movie. At least there was something in it that made it a little bit more like, oh, it's flashing back. Ooh, yeah. what's this? What's that? And then there's like certain points where you, you realize that like part of what she's going through is reality. Part of it is this fog. But then they, like you said, they splice in this reality. And 
or maybe it's not reality. The whole point is you're like guessing. And I agree. I agree with you. There's like a certain point where she thinks that um, a certain person has hit her. And in reality, it's you, you say, well, you're in a drunken fog. You don't know what happened. Yeah. Um, and that's one of those little points. And at least it, at least it has those points. I agree with yeah. you that it keeps you kind of interested, which I think you don't, I don't know that you should take this film at its face value because of, you can't really give it that, like push it into that genre of, well, this is just a, an entertainment piece or whatever, you know, that right. we, we tend to do. Because Emily Blunt's acting, again, was, I'll say, borderline Oscar-worthy. Like, Oh, yeah. yeah. I think of all, I mean, of it was one of the best performances I've seen all year. And at first, when she is British in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought her accent was slipping through because this all takes place in New York City, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And um, I thought her accent was slipping fr- through, but apparently not because there's actually a point where somebody's like, well, you have an accent. And I was like, oh, okay, so that's supposed to be her character. And then I was like, holy crap, she's like, she's amazing. Like the, everything she's doing here is, is fantastic. And she was ab- of she absolutely carried this movie all the way through. And if there was any one character I was even a little bit invested in, it was her and the sort of whole arc of her story in this was probably the most, if there's anything learned from the events of this movie, it's what we learned through her character. So that was kind of the biggest positive because everything else it was, yeah, these are, like you said, these are real things and it's hard to portray them in a realistic way, but taking this story that's ultimately all this melodramatic stuff and putting it in this very like dark intense murder mystery it just didn't seem like the right blend to me because i feel like this all this marital ex-husband ex-wife kind of strife stuff going on between these people has been done much more effectively yeah so yeah i just i don't know throughout the movie i was i was like okay i gotta see what happens here and she's great and this is kind of interesting, but holy crap, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Who cares, really? Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't think we, we talked about, you know, Kate Mara, Chris Evans, Jared Leto, and, and Margot Rowe. I, I don't think they would have done anything for this necessarily. I mean. No, not at all. So I think that the cast they had did just fine for what they were given. Um, I don't know. It just it just didn't. Yeah, like you, I guess I agree with you that this has been done so many times and so much better. Mm-hmm. It's hard to really say this is great, but you know, I I do have to commend it because I think it's solid. You know, I think that this this is kind of a not a movie to see in theaters. I don't think it would be kind of a like if you've been married for a while or if you're in a serious relationship, this wouldn't be the worst movie to watch because I think it could inspire some pretty good discussion between you and your significant other about these very intense things that real human beings go through. Yeah. Uh, I think another movie that's much better that kind of I recommend for the same thing is Revolutionary Road with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet where it's like if you're in a relationship and you see it being a long-term thing, this maybe has some thematic value to it where you would watch it with somebody you're with and be like, okay, these are questions and problems that we will probably face in our life because we're humans. And I think there's some valid stuff there. Yeah. No, I agree. And, you know, again, it's, it, you have to commend it. The book was, from what I understand, exceptional. Again, I'm relying on my mother's word. I trust her for the most part. Um, but, I mean, it, it was a good film. Can't knock it too much. Well, I mean, what would you give this, though, 1 to 10? Um, well, I'd give it 
I mean, again, my, I, I don't know how many times I have to explain, but my rating scale, if a movie falls right on a 5, that's not an F, that's a C. That's right in the middle of the scale. And I'm going to give this a 5.5 because I, do, I think there's too many kind of excellent things in it, most notably Emily Blunt's performance, that keep it from being below average. Um, but at the same time, man, it was just too damn long and I was bored and I called what was happening and just who cares? Yeah. So 5.5 for me. And I'd give it an even, even six. Okay. So right in the mid range, a little bit above normal, um, mainly because of Emily Blunt. And I think, I mean, at the end of the day, it it gets you through it. But I think if this film were an hour and 35 minutes, 45 minutes, it probably, maybe it's a little better, but, um, but yeah. Overall, pretty good film. Yeah, I mean, I uh, if I ever watch another drama thriller about husbands and wives, I'm going to watch Gone Girl again. I know, and I, I know a lot of people are sick of hearing these two stories compared, but man, I can't help it. They're so similar. <laughs> They're about marriages falling apart and the kind of the fallout and the motivations behind it and who who these people are and why they did. I mean, that's. This stuff is so ingrained in American culture that the story is clearly coming out again and again and again and again. Yeah. And I think it's been done better before. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Gone Girl was a little more smart. Way, way kept more smart. you kept you guessing a lot longer. Kept it was you better invested. acted. Yeah. There was more twists. It was more visceral. It was way more shocking. Yeah. There was like a moment near the end of this that I think was sort of echoing one of the more shocking moments from, from Gone Girl. And the whole time I was just like, I just want to watch Gone Girl. Yeah. Ben Affleck, man. Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, bro. Ben Affleck, bro. Uh, Batfleck. <laughs> Batfleck, man. Hey, man, pack the car. Pack the Batmobile outside of the freaking apartment. <laughs> the car. <laughs> Take the car to the park. Goodbye, pot. all of our Boston listeners. We no longer have any fans in Boston. There. Uh, Ugh. So, give it a shot. Good. I'm pretty sure it'll do Rent a good it. job. Rent it. It'll do a good Good bit of business in the rental world. Yeah, I feel like this is the kind of movie that's going to, like, play over and over again on, like, stars at, like, 3 in the morning. HBO. No, no, no. no. HBO. HBO is going to be playing Gone Girl. This is a stars or a Cinemax movie. Stars. They're like, no, Gone Girl. This is the movie that they play right before the... This is the... This is the movie they play before the skin flicks on Cinemax. (laughs) Get people going. Ooh, get a little tease going, but not the good tease. stuff. Mm. It'll be uh, Fifty Shades Darker. Oh, Jesus. The... Did you see the trailer? Yeah. Ugh. It's like, come on. Did you see the first one? Yeah. And it yeah. was, I saw it in theaters. Oh, you're a and terrible And I thought person. it was, the only reason I went was for two reasons, because I knew it would be hysterical. Nudity. And I knew that there would be a ton of people in the theater that were like. Uncomfortable. Just like, no, like, oh, I'm here for the, and that, well, one, partially that, but also like. People they're like, yeah, I read the book. Oh, I'm here for the the moment. People who think it's like actually serious yeah, art, like when it's just, it's go- just garbage. garbage. And it was it was total trash. Yeah, I saw the movie. I didn't it see it in theaters. To- but. Like the acting's horrible across the board. Casting, they did a shit job. Like just not good. It's a movie about a stalker who likes to whip girls and get choked when he has sex. Yeah, and then at the end he's the like, end. oh well, I got I was a uh, what is it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't even remember. I was just so bored. It's like he was the one that was getting beaten. Uh, I don't know what that is. You're. I don't. I want to keep wanting to say minor, but that's not right. Um, I mean, submissive. Oh, oh, submissive. So he's submissive. He was at one point, but yeah, and it like traumatized him. So now he's rich. Now he's the 
the other one. No, he's yeah, the Dom. Yeah, Dom and Sub. You know all the words. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, so onto our high priority news items. A pretty, a pretty interesting read. Uh, from Cineblend, should DC Studios just release the full-length version of their films? We've talked about this before. So why does this question arise? Well, because they were saying about how the the superhero films... I mean, Batman vs. Superman did a very good amount of business, mm-hmm. but a few other ones haven't been doing good. Well, and they released the Batman vs. Superman extended cut, yep. which, in my opinion, was significantly better. And now they just announced, like we had predicted... Suicide Squad will be getting an extended cut that's like 20 minutes longer on Blu-ray. Yeah. And so if I understand this, and with Batman versus Superman, the theatrical release was like three hours? Theatrical was release was like two and a half. Two and a half. And the extended cut was three hours. Mm-hmm. So my main question to you was, like, in terms of rating, if you were to rate Batman versus Superman, the theatrical cut versus the extended cut, like, how many additional... I think you said at least it was, like, two points, Didn't right? they do this? I gave the theatrical, like, a 5.5. Yeah. And I gave the extended, like, an 8. Yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed the theatrical cut. I also think, though, that that score went up because I think even if I would have seen the theatrical cut again, it would have gone up because I kind of knew what to expect. But it was better. I think it was better. It cleared up a lot of plot holes. Um, some of the things that were sort of murky or just skimmed over made more sense. So it was just it, 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 the, the stuff that they cut out had no business being cut out. And, yeah. and I think that's going to be based on what we both said about Suicide Squad. It's going to be the same story. We, we both felt that I liked the movie Suicide Squad more than you, but we both felt like there was clearly stuff that was being skimmed over, jumped over, or completely cut out. Yeah. And sure enough. So why are they doing that? Well, I did what I did is a, an analysis. Mm-hmm. So this is a very strange. Um, with a two and a half hour release, you can get five showings in in a day. Mm-hmm. That's just how how they run. They run from ten in our great great town of Appleton. They run from ten twenty till I believe it's ten twenty at night. So they can get five showings in there. And that's as of the start time of the yep, movie. Yeah, start time of the movie. So they get uh, they run the film. They give the Cleaning crew, 40 minutes to clean the theater, and then there's another film that comes up and, you know, they start over again. Generally, they play the same movie in the same theater. Though. Yeah, and especially with these, these are going to get the super screen releases. Yeah. So if you do a th- three-hour release, you can only do four showings. So mm-hmm. you lose one whole slot, basically. Mm-hmm. And then your option there is to play it in more screens. And on more screens. But, mm-hmm. you know, you have the super screen release. My thing is... You, okay, so what they're, I'm, I'm pretty sure the studio is seeing that if you do, and this is assuming that, okay, so uh, Batman versus Superman is the example I used. It was released on 4,242 screens in the United States okay. on the day it opened. So if you just assume that every theater is a super screen theater, and this is a big assumption because that's not the case, the, basically by having one less showing, they're losing out on about $12.9 million per day. And that's if the theater's packed every single showing, which isn't going to happen. But the thing is, if you do the four showings, no matter what, based on the time slot, you're going to lose a, See, like a late... I get it. And that's the thing, is that it's all money. I understand it, but here's my issue with that. Lord of the Rings Return of the King made over a billion dollars. And it was got awfully long it was like an hour and a half longer it was like almost four hours and that was the theatrical cut yeah but i think people would counter then movies would play longer and there was less of a rush to get it on blu-ray or dvd or whatever quicker yeah my thing is uh, 
I think it's so stupid. No, Make a better movie. Yeah, people were want to see a better movie. Because if if Batman versus Superman, and that's the example that I use, because it's it's the best one that I it had. Is, and it is that if you just put out like a wonderful film that actually makes sense, and like you said, is an eight out of ten versus a five point five out of ten. People are going to, that's the better word of mouth. It's going to be hot for many, many, many more weekends than it does. And in reality, you know, are you losing some money? Yeah, but you're gaining much, much more buzz. Yeah, and instead of releasing a hot circle of garbage, you're releasing a solid fucking movie. Like, look at Return of the King. It won 12, it won 11 Oscars. Yeah. And it won movie of the year. I mean, that was no slog. That I mean, that was a movie that made its money back because it was good enough that people wanted to see it and see it again, no matter yeah. how damn long it was. And, and my thing is, too, if if the latest you'll go is like 10, 20 at night, if you have like a just a blockbuster of a film, like Lord of the Rings is a great example, you could probably get like a late night showing tucked in there, like somehow, some way, like rearrange the schedule. I, you know, I don't know what they could do, but... People do all sorts of things to see a film like that. Well, right, and a movie like that has the has the staying power that you could re-release it every year, and people are going to go see it in theaters every year. And it's got a somewhat of a cult following, so you have those hardcore fans who will watch it no matter what. All like me, I'll fucking watch that movie every day if I yeah. could. Um, and then you look at Batman for Superman. Okay, sure, you can play it one more time a day, but wh- wh- who cares? Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure they were looking at the like, oh, we could make if if this sold out on such. But it, well, because now look the at the is, future. Is that, yeah, you're gonna have a half full theater, and you're you're losing out on even more money. Yeah, because if you, know? you look in the future, then now that both both the the most recent two DC movies, Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad, did solid money, certainly made their money back and then some, but they weren't like these gangbuster movies that were selling out screen after screen after screen, like The Force Awakens was. People weren't dying to see that movie. For the second, excuse me, and the third time. And the, so the, they see now that the demand isn't there. So they're not going to offer this. They're probably not going to put the next Marvel or DC movie on as many screens because they're like, people didn't show up last time. Yeah. I think it's just got to go with the longer movie. They've really, I think bite they, the bullet. they really, I think that I hope that they learned a lot from Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad. And if you're listening to this and you love the movies, God bless you. I, I I enjoy them both quite a bit, but they approached the release the wrong way of both yeah. of these movies. And the fact that these have both released extended cuts, I think it's it it seems very gimmicky to me that they have to release extended cuts of their movies in order to justify the quality of the movie. Ugh, it just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. Yeah. Give us the right movie. Give us, yeah. Yeah, MFers. Full length. I'll sit if it's awesome. I'll sit there for three hours. No biggie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyways, um, on to our other hyper news. John Wick Chapter Two mm. Mm, gets a trailer and a teaser poster. Ugh, ugh, the best teasers are the best. John Wick is awesome. Let me just start by saying that. Have you ever seen John Wick? Oh, have I ever? Ugh, it's so good. It's it's like one of those movies that became. It wasn't didn't do great in box office, but it became like an instant cult hit. And this second trailer looks ju- every bit as awesome as the first. The bomb. I think com. it's set. This one, the bomb. dot com. It's set in. Uh, I think Rome. It looks like it's set in. Yeah, and it just looks bigger and better, which with sequels can maybe be hit or miss. But um, 
Keanu Reeves is badass, and it looks like he's being reteamed up with Lawrence Fishburne, who played Morpheus in The Matrix. Yeah, oh. I, don't, I don't care what you say about Keanu. I love me, I love me some Keanu Reeves. Oh my god, I love Keanu. He's one of the best. I hate when people are like, "Oh, he's such a sto. He doesn't have any emotion." I'm like, "So, can work with that." <laughs> That's all I got. So, can you tell me that Sly had massive range of emotions. Like Sylvester Stallone. Adrian. No, he had like, he was like right here. And it was Adrian. always kind of there. I'm, I'm running my hand across a flat line. Yes. Just so you know. I can confirm that. For alliteration. But I'm big Nate's thing, notary. I follow big, him around. Big thing about John Wick, the writer, Derek Kolstad, graduate of Edgewood High School. I went to high I didn't go to high school. I went oh, to the same geez, high school as this go. guy. I'm his best friend's brother, sister's uncle. Madison guy. Edgewood guy. Ugh. What's up? Catholic John Wick Pools. was awesome. Hold if you together. haven't seen John Wick, watch it. It's em- it. it emotionally punches you in the face in the first 15 minutes. Yeah. And then you just root for this dude killing bad guys with some of the best, some of the most amazingly choreographed action scenes in years. I mean, it's awesome. Well, because I, I think, I feel like Keanu, I mean, he's he did The Matrix, which that was like yeah. special effects galore, you know. Mm-hmm. So he's this like kind of his, his thing. Right. I mean, and he, even if you look back at the beginning of his career, he was in like Parenthood. Remember that movie? Mm-hmm. And uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey. Yeah, then he did the Matrix movies. And then he sort of, he sort of, he sort of struggled um, finding uh, an audience for himself, I think. I know he did some romantic comedies and stuff like that. He did The Day the Earth Stood Still remake. Um, some stuff like that. But uh, if you look into Keanu Reeves' personal life, he's like the nicest guy ever. He gives like the vast majority of his uh, his uh, paychecks from his movies to the cast and crew. And he lives like in this, he like travels and he lives out of hotels basically. And it's he's got like a really interesting life story. Like his 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 pregnant girlfriend had like a miscarriage and then she died. I mean, the, and he, oh. he's had like a heart. His yeah. Per, his personal life section on his Wikipedia page is rough. It's very rough. And like, he just seems like such an honest guy. And that's why when I see him in a movie like John Wick about a guy who's had a lot of personal struggles, like I buy it. Like I buy it. Like he just sells it as this very quiet, stone-faced guy who can just snap and he will shoot you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> we love us some Keanu Reeves on Weekly Neurosis. We're going to get Keanu tattoos on our foreheads that say Keanu Reeves. Will, Keanu he'll shoot Reeves. you in the face. <laughs> that's, a lot of, that's a lot of face tattoos. We'll get it tattooed on our necks. Oh. No, we'll shave our eyebrows off and we'll write Keanu in the eyelet. Keanu. I, mine would be covered up because I have thick fucking eyebrows. Yeah, we'll sh- keep shaving them. You'll be good. Keep shaving them, bro. All right. So I'm going to do our weekly segment by the numbers where we cover the top five grossing films in these United States of America and the occasional flops that do occur in modern cinema and a whole lot in 2016. Oh, my like This goodness. is like the recessions, recession of film. This is the 1930s of film. <laughs> Pretty much. So I'll start it off this week. Number five this week was Storks. Uh, last week it was number four, so not a... Huge decline, but it's a kids' movie. Mm. Uh, grossed a total of eight point two nine four million dollars, bringing its total gross to forty nine point nine, almost fifty million dollars uh, in total gross on a seventy million dollar budget. I think last week we looked it up; it's international. It's doing fine. Doing fine. So good job, Warner Brothers. All right. So the number four release this last weekend was The Magnificent Seven. So hanging up there it was uh, number three last week. It made $9 million, and it is up to a domestic total of $75.7 million on a $90 million budget. 
it's not doing terrible. I'm sure worldwide it's doing just fine. Yeah. And it'll, it'll stick around. It'll make a little little bits and pieces and break even in the, in the States. Mm. Um, number three was our movie of the week last week, Deepwater, or two weeks ago. Last week. Last week it was. Deepwater Horizon from Lionsgate uh, grossed a total of $11.5 million in its third week, bringing its total gross to 38, almost we'll say $38.3 million on a $110 million budget. Boom. Internationally? I, I have know. no idea. I have no idea. I feel like it's probably not doing that well. Ouch. <sighs> All right, so number two was last week's number one movie, uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which made $15.1 million this last weekend and has made a domestic total of $51 million on a $110 million budget. So big old budget on there doing okay business. Business. Not doing great. And uh, number one... <laughs> Not doing great. Number one was the brand new uh, film, our movie of the week, Girl on the Train, the 2016 version. Uh, gross a total of $24.5 million. That is, uh, is its total gross as it is in its first week. Its budget is $45 million. I have to think this is doing a little bit overseas as well because uh, it was an international book. Yeah. On a $45 million budget, pretty good. Yes. So on to our guessing game, yes. which is what we're calling it for right now. So what are we doing here again? Let's keep reminding people. Okay. So what we're doing every single week is we're going to guess the number one film. Mm-hmm. What's going to be number we're one? We're going to try to guess. The try to one. guess. 100% accuracy. Nope. No. Uh, we'll try to guess the number one film each and every week, and then we'll give a total gross of how much right. that film's going to make. And whoever's closer... Wins. Wins. Maybe we well, should just do that. Yeah. Because that because we this will this will be like the fourth week in a row where neither of us have won because we're both terrible at this game. Yeah. We should just do that probably. So whoever's closer. Yeah. And it has to be number one though. Yeah. Right. You have to get the number one movie, so I automatically lose this week because okay. I'm an idiot. Okay. So I'll go through these there. So last week Nate predicted that the number one film of the week would be the brand new release, The Girl on the Train. I scoffed. And I said, never, never, sir. And I said, it's a book. It's a popular book. And he said, it'll make $35 million. And I said, hogwash. I said, hogwash. Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children will make $23 million on its second week and beat out any new releases. I was incorrect. The number one release this weekend was The Girl on the Train for $24.5 million. Yep. So if I would have said The Girl on the Train for $23 million, I would have... One. One. You'd have but been I dead was on. Totally wrong. Nate said the girl on the train. Thirty-five million. Ladies and gentlemen, Nate was correct. <laughs> so this week we're giving Nate the point. Das point. That's a way. That's why. Because off air I had the idea to do within a certain amount. Yeah. Which I don't think we should do. I think we should just do who's ever closest. Yeah. So that way we always have a winner. Because eventually we'll. I'm guessing maybe this week we'll have the same movie. Well, and I'm actually looking on my... So I'm not cheating. I'm looking on my Marcus Theaters app at the coming soon to see what movies are coming out next week because we both are going to guess starting now. And since you won this week, you get to, go, to go first. first. Yes, you get to go first and say what movie you think will be the number one and how much it will make. Nate, take it away. All right. All right. 
Just to make sure I'm reading. I'm on IMDb. I'm by no means cheating. Ethan, not... No, Get out of my house. Okay. I'm going to say the number one film next week will be Kevin Hart. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I was like, are you kidding me right now? Uh, it's going to be The Accountant, I'm going to say. I'm going to go with $20 million. The Accountant with $20 million. 24.5, final answer. <laughs> All right, so $24.5 million, he says. Um, mm, okay. So I am going to say, coming this week, what is the date this week? I'm also going to say the accountant, but I'm going to go $30 million. $30 million. Okay, so we both think The Accountant is going to be the number one movie this week, this weekend. Nate believes it will make $24.5 million. I boldly believe that it will make a solid $30 million. And that's our predictions. So next week we'll have to see, uh, see what happens. See what happens. This is the part where I look up what the predictions are. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. So The Accountant... Uh, the Accountant will be released alongside movies Max Steel and Kevin Hart. What now? It's expected to gross between twenty and twenty-five million on its opening weekend. Although the studio is projecting closer to fifteen million, both of those scenarios, unless this is a sleeper hit, as they say, show me losing this next week because you said twenty-four point five, which is closer to the projection. Hmm. Oh, folks, this could go either way. Yeah. I'm very confused at what the Kevin Hart movie's about. It's a st- okay. I, so it's a stand-up he, he comedy was, special. Okay, Kevin Hart was on a, 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 a talk show, a sort of talk show I watch on YouTube called Hot Ones, where they eat hot wings and answer questions, and it's hilarious. He explained what it was. It is, for the most part, a stand-up special, which they filmed in uh, Philadelphia at the uh, football stadium because that's his hometown, uh, apparently, and. Uh, they had so much money given to him that he made like a, a mini action movie that opens it up. You know how some stand-up specials will have like a 10-minute sometimes kind of thing leading into it? Apparently, this is like a half an hour short like action film about okay. him trying to get to it that leads into the stand-up special. So Interesting. Kevin Hart, short man, yells a lot. What now? He's in Soul Plane, classic film. Classic film. I do like that movie. And Christine... I don't even know what that is. We don't care a about wunderbar wait, I just think uh, of rating. when I think of Christine, I think of the Stephen King novel about the car. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is about the 1970s TV reporter Christine Chubbuck. <sighs> Good story, Nate. All right, with so Rebecca Hall from Batman. Ooh, I like her. Her uh, not Batman. The Departed. Batman? No, The Departed. No, she wasn't in The Departed. She was in uh, The Town. The that's town. what I was thinking of. Yes. And Desierto as well this week. Anyways. <laughs> Jesus. All right. So that's been our movie of the week segment. When we come back, we're going to review the classic. We went really throwback mm-hmm. this week. 
back to 1975, mm. Bob Dylan's release, Blood on the Tracks. And you'll hear music from that album in this break. You will. So Weekland Roasts, everybody, we will be right back. Buckets of rain, buckets of tears Got all them buckets coming out of my ears Buckets of moonbeams in my hand You got all the love, honey, baby, I can stand Pretty people disappear like smoke Friends will arrive, friends will disappear If you want me, honey, baby, I'll be here Welcome back into Weekly Neurosis. I'm oh, Nate. I'm, I'm Ethan. <laughs> All right, time for our album of the week. This week, uh, the classic album, Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. So Bob Dylan is a popular music artist, I think that's a bit of an understatement, whose career started in the mid-1960s and has gone until now. Uh, He quickly rose to to popularity through his politically charged folk music, but just as quickly turned his back on the folk movement and released a series of revolutionary rock and roll albums. Uh, In a now... In a now? In a now, (laughs) what is legendary series of career changes... He would continue to reinvent himself through gospel albums, pop albums, country albums, blues albums, and so on. Uh, this has continued to this day, where he uh, most recently has released two albums that cover many Sinatra tunes and other American standards in a movie that has stirred up even the most controversial or controversy among his followers. Uh, the recording and production notes, Blood on the Tracks, is Dylan's 15th studio album, uh, that was released since 1975. The album is traditionally seen as a sort of breakup album that showed his real-life marriage to Sarah Dillon had become estranged and detached. While Dillon himself denies uh, the exact connections, the lyrics to the album clearly revolve around the long-lost love affairs and dissolving relationships. While its initial critical reception was mixed, it is now recognized as one of his best works and is even uh, considered by some to be his the best album he's ever released. I think when you when you look at that description alone, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. You were talking, but it's Bob Dylan's. You well, before for... you, before because you normally I say, tell me what's oh. here. But his fifteenth album that was released in 1975, and he started in the mid 1960s. This dude's a, a monster. I think he's on, he's almost to his fortieth album. Crazy. Yeah. So Ethan. I excuse myself before I interrupted you. <laughs> Thank you. But um, what do you think gen- about this? Very kind of you. Um, well, I I don't know if I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but Bob Dylan is my number one favorite musician ever, period. So I can't really speak about him or his albums, especially his, his more famous albums, without any sort of bias. So I'm putting that out there now because I love this album. I mean, it's... um. For me personally, it isn't my top Dylan album, but it is one of his top tier records. Um, you know, it is—it's a heartbreaking and super emotional album, which is why I think it was such a 
big deal when it came out because he had released at the time a series of albums that while nowadays a lot of people enjoy them it uh they were they were sort of seen as disappointments and this one came out it was clearly more energetic it was more emotional um and overall it's just like a very crushing record uh, of different accounts of of romance and lost love and how time changes things and and it's told through different narratives and typical dylan fashion who is in my opinion the greatest lyricist who's ever ever lived um and it's it's just a powerful and moving album as well as a catchy and entertaining one that has a lot some of his best melodies and most memorable tunes on it but uh you know it is by all means it's a classic i think it you know, I, I, when I was reading about it, I was a little surprised that so many people put it as like his top album. I've seen a lot of lists put it as his top album because I think one of the things that makes Dylan, Bob Dylan, so special isn't just that he's so great with lyrics. It's that he really revolutionized a lot of sounds. And to me, while this album musically is fantastic, it didn't really cross any new boundaries. It's more To me, it's more of a lyrical uh, home run than anything else so for that reason i don't think i rate it quite as highly as some people um but it, i mean it's a it's a classic and I, I love it i know every song almost word for word uh so i love it yeah and we we our friendship started with an, <laughs> yeah. an argument long long ago yeah shit. about that but um no i i was absolutely blown away and i think part of it that helped and i'll first say that i agree with you it's not um, complex by any means. Well, musically complex. You know, musically complex. It's very simple, but lyrically, it's very, very, very deep. Um, right off the bat, though, tangled up in blue. I actually I listened to it, um, and I, I think I listened to this song about four times in a row because it's just so it traps you, it yeah. ties you in. It's so good <laughs> to it, and just lyrically, he's just, I again. Lost, kind of lost for words. Yeah, because he's so he's so so very gifted. But yeah, this this clearly, and I, I didn't. I read the script today of what we were gonna, what I was supposed to say at this point. But you know, it, just his he he was clearly just poured, he just poured his soul onto something, and he's done this multiple multiple times. But right. incredible, just totally incredible. Yeah, it's interesting that this this album has a reputation, and I think you can hear it just listening to it, that it's so deeply personal. And I think at, at some point, if he claims in reality that none of this was based on his real life, but if anybody knows about Bob Dylan in interviews, they will know that he almost never tells the truth, which is one of the things that sort of kept him so famous over the years is that he nobody believes anything he says he's always changing his image nobody really knows who the real guy is there's a just a traveling mystique that follows this dude around and um so whether or not some of these songs which are again based largely on heartbreak and and breakups and you know dissolving relationships um whether or not they're true is up for debate but whether or not he has some connection to the material is not in question because it's it's right there in the music and uh you know it's so very powerful and i think all of that adds to when you listen to it there's something so like personal and interesting about it but at the same time it's like sort of archetypical because even without analyzing whether the stuff is true or not in terms of bob dylan's real life you can the the lyrics are so vivid and the situations are so vivid and the stories are so vivid that 
you can see yourself there and you can relate to things because every single human being who listens to this has felt these feelings in some way, shape or form. And it's not like touchy feely or, or, uh, or sentimental. I mean, it's very honest music that uh, it doesn't pander at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the things I like about them so much. And one of the strengths of this particular album is that it's really, really just all kind of laid right there. Yeah. And there, there's not bells and whistles of the music being crazy and he's not turning up the distortion. It's rock and roll music, absolutely, but it's just that. It's yeah. mostly poetry and, and, and thematic intrigue. It's, it's great. <laughs> it is, yeah. I mean, it, and this is, again, I refer to the Cradle albums quite often, but I think everything Dylan's done is kind of a Cradle album. But you can hear little bits and pieces of stuff you hear now. And it, even it, it released in 1975, this sounds ahead of its time. Mm. You know, I think a lot of what he did was ahead of its time, too. So, Yeah, I think... Um, he was the kind of guy who nobody ever expected to be constantly kind of releasing music that was so surprising. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, this is an album, like you would mentioned the song Tangled Up in Blue. You could play that to anybody, and they would either be, A, fascinated by the linear story the song is telling about a guy who meets a woman, they break up, he meets her or another similar woman later, and how oh, he's always on the road and he's never content and with this blah blah blah. you can either follow that linearly and be intrigued by that or you can see yourself in the story yeah and that's sort of to me the thing about bob dylan's music that i love so much is that it is so at one point you when you listen to it you think to yourself holy crap this dude is writing this stuff from a place that is so inside of himself that none of us will understand it but at the same time it is so easy to relate to it is like the most bizarre thing ever, how how sincere it, it sounds. And uh, I think this is maybe one of his stronger albums um, in terms of that. But, I mean, you look at the track list on here. For me, I, I don't personally think there's a single... This is the kind of album where if you go to Wikipedia, every single song has its own page. There's basically essays written about, <laughs> excuse me, about every single song on this thing. And actually, it's kind of funny. When I was in college, I was in a poetry class and... There was one section in the class where we all had to pick a poem that was out of this textbook that we were told we had to get. And we all had to pick one poem and do an analysis of it. And this, the first song on here, Tangled Up in Blue, was in that book in poetry form. Interesting. And I picked that and got to analyze it. So I've listened to that song hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that, that just kind of shows how you can sit and read these lyrics and that's really all you need to do. But I think that would be doing you a great disservice, although many people will tell you they can't stand Bob Dylan because of his very distinctive nasally voice, Yeah, which I think is a turnoff for some people. But for me, it's instantly recognizable. It's something I'm instantly drawn to whenever I hear Bob Dylan. I know who I'm listening to. I think he's a passionate singer. I think his voice fills up the room. So I would have it no other way. I've heard some people say, oh, I would love his music if he just gave his lyrics to other people and let them sing it. And I say, Bich, hogwash, sir. Hogwash. <laughs> no, but just, I, again... Every time I listen to a Dylan album, I'm just like, holy Christ, is this guy gifted. Yeah, that's great. And the songs are catchy, too. That's the thing. Yeah, you could, I mean, you could play, and maybe not on, like, modern radio sucks, let's be honest, but, like, this, a few of these songs would get, like, 
pretty decent traction. If they were, well, if they they did were at the re- time. released in 2016, they'd probably get decent traction with like the folk community, rock community, alt community. Yeah. I think he created Americana, let's be honest. Like without, Pop, yeah. without Bob Dylan, there's no Americana genre. Yeah, I mean, but like the song Idiot Wind has to me, like whenever I hear yeah. it, it's like stuck in my head all day long. So it's not just that his lyrics are profound. I think he's a songwriter. I mean, these these lyrics are meant to be played in the song, in the song format. And uh, there's really not a weak moment here for, for me, but... um. That's just me. You know, the opening song, Tingled Up in Blue, is great. My personal favorite song on the whole album is actually the very last song on the album. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, Buckets of Rain, which is more of a folk country kind of song. Um, it's very good. Uh, I think um, Shelter from the Storm is fantastic. I mean, they're all good. That was one of my favorite, yeah. Yeah. Shelter. Idiot Wind, Tangled Up in Blue. Hmm. Tangled Up in Blue just caught, totally caught me. Just like, from its wow. opening chord of that guitar, that acoustic yeah. playing, it's just instantly, it just ropes you in. It stops you. It's fantastic. So, what would you rate this, though? One to ten. Okay, so I know I just gushed, but the way, like Major I said, time. like I said at the beginning, I'm a Dylan fanatic. I love this. I've listened to every single one of his albums, I don't even know how many times. I've seen him in concert twice. I love him. Um, so the way I have to, I sort of write Dylan in his like own category, like over here, you know? All of the other music in the world is over here, but over here to the left is Bob Dylan. So I kind of rate everything that he does in his own category. So I give this album a 9 out of 10 because I think he has four or five albums at least that are better than this. And simply because of that, I give it a 9 out of 10 (laughs) Uh, because it is a a fantastic album. I think maybe if you've never listened to Dylan before, if you hate his voice, you're going to loathe every second of it. Yeah. But also at the same time, you kind of said it before that there's it's the whole album sort of standardized on the sound. So some people might find it sort of flat and not a whole lot of variation or diversity throughout the whole album in terms of its sound. So that might be a negative. But um, I think it's great. Nine out of ten. What'd you give it? Well, this is the first um, Dylan album I've listened to front to back. What? True story. Um, so. For me, this is a, a new sample. So this is kind of like... It's a good starting point. Fresh, great, loved it, gushed about it, right with you. I'm going to say 10 out of 10. Because I haven't I haven't listened to his whole anthology. I like hearing that. Quite yet. You know so. what I could do, too? I've done this before for people where they'll ask me, Dylan's discography is huge. Help me. It's monster. Where do I start? And I think we had this conversation about Tom White's once before, too. Yep. But I could give you a guide on, like, start with these four albums. And if you like them, listen to these. And you'll go here and there. and Yeah, yeah because there's albums you start with. And I think if I was doing, like, if you, listen to, if you sit down and listen to Bob Dylan and you listen to three albums, this might be on there. Um, maybe, maybe. But the thing is, like we said in the, the, the description for Dylan here, he's just done so much in different genres and, and sounds that it's so hard to just pick something. Yeah. And even, even with this album, and again, I'm coming in with fresh eyes, but you know, there's like little twinges here and there of like country and this, and like, and a little bit of rock and roll. And it, there's just such a mix. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's just all there. And for the record, he's from Duluth, Minnesota, and he is 75 years old currently. Boom. Wow. Still rocking. He's released, let's see, 
like uh, earlier this year. I think we've talked about it before on the podcast. He released another album. He released his 37th studio album this year. Jesus Christ. The album is titled Fallen Angels. There's no original material on it, though. It is all covers. That can also be said about the last album he released, Shadows in the Night. But you know what's funny is I read some on Facebook, of course, because the internet brings out the worst in everybody, some very negative comments when they were, when the album Fallen Angels, his newest record, was new. Um, there was people on Facebook complaining, oh, why don't you just write some new music? We, you know, we deserve this. It's like, how many songs has this dude written? How many albums has this dude released? He's 75. He doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. If you want to, if you, if you, if he only had a quarter of his discography, he would still be seen as one of the greatest ever. Yeah. It just bothers me when people think they're entitled to, to so much more. It's like, this dude has nothing to prove to anybody. At this point in his career, he's done it all. And a very good quote, and this is relatable, but not. Uh, Michael Jordan once said, I'm really good at scoring hoops. Matter of fact, it's easy. So I'm going to play baseball. <laughs> he wasn't very good at that. True story. And then no, he went back to baseball. Basketball, or basketball. basketball. But if that's, you know, and, and honestly, maybe, and that's my, my thing with him, maybe he's so, it, making songs or writing songs is so easy to him. He, you know, he's recomposing music. It's yeah, not exactly easy. He's re-exploring the music that influenced him. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. If people are so itching for Bob Dylan originals, he's got 34 other albums of originals to go choose from. Go to that museum that bought... We yeah. covered that on the, the show. The one in Oklahoma. Yeah, that bought all these... Little... And he just announced the 36-disc live album or live box set of his entire like 1965 tour in Europe when he went electric and pissed all the folk people off. The whole tour is coming out on CD. The whole thing. It's like 36 discs. Jesus. It's amazing. It's a lot of, a lot of music. So I think we're running out of time to do the high-priority news items. Oh, okay. That's so, fine. Uh, are we running long today? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I feel weird that we're... We must be ranting a lot. few. few rants. Okay. Here and there. It's natural. But um, let's at least talk about Brian Wilson, though. Oh, sure. Because he's... I love the Beach Boys. You love the Beach Boys. Yes. Um, he uh, has extended his 50th anniversary Pet Friends Pets, tour. Pet Friends. Sounds, does, how does that sounds? <laughs> you said Pet Friends. Dude, I saw it was Pet, and then I thought I saw an F, and I said Friends. Pet Sounds tour. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be there. Yes. Um, how many tour dates is he doing? Do you know? Well, I don't know. I think the first leg of this tour was pretty small, and I know he played at some festivals. Um, and the like, and they're advertising this whole thing as uh, the final performances of Pet Sounds. And if people don't know, Pet Sounds is the Beach Boys album that came out in the 60s that was, it was sort of a commercial bomb at the time, but it was seen as sort of a landmark in pop music that heavily influenced the Beatles to continue down more experimental psychedelic roots. And nowadays it's considered one of the greatest albums ever. So Brian Wilson, of course, uh, was sort of the the man in charge of the Beach Boys at the time, which was shocking because the Beach Boys prior to that album, their music was par- was party music. It was mm-hmm. surf music. It was about cars and girls and this and that. And that music is absolutely great too. And they did a lot of stuff. But Pet Sounds was sort of a a turning point for them and kind of a nowadays seen as a, an important landmark. So he's doing the fiftieth anniversary tour, and they just expanded it by like thirty dates or something. Wow, I mean it's huge. They they really he really expanded this tour quite a bit, and yeah, one of them is uh, in Milwaukee, 
um, just south of us, and I got tickets this morning to go see. So I'm I'm pretty excited about it. You should be. Yeah, it's gonna be cool. Because who who doesn't? It's kind of one of those questions. Like who doesn't love the Beach Boys? It's yeah. like one of those things. Who doesn't love blank? If you talk to somebody and they're like, I hate the Beach Boys, you just slap them. You just slap them in the face and be like, No. Yeah. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You love it. <laughs> How could you not love the no. BB? Got to show some love for boom for Brian Wilson. Yeah, well, I, lo- I love the Beach Boys. How could you not? Oh, yeah. So good. Uh, but onto obsession. So, Ethan, what are you obsessed about right now? Real simple horror movies. It's October. <laughs> it is the witching month, as I call it. I'm not yeah. sure that's a thing. It's October. I try to watch 31 movies in 31 days. I'm I'm significantly behind how many, schedule. How many movies have you seen right up to today? It's like for my 31? I've seen f- four or five, I think. Okay. But I was in Las Vegas for like four days, so yeah. give me a break. Um, so I got a lot more to go. But luckily, this coming Friday and Saturday night, I don't have a lot going on. So I can maybe check out two, three movies at night and maybe play catch up. Nice. But... uh. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. It's going to be pretty tough to to do 31 this year. But, uh, yeah, horror movies. Boom. Well, sci-fi has their, like, 31 days of horror. Ugh, commercials. But it's, like... I have, like, 3,000 movies on Blu-ray and DVD. Eight, but it's, like, eight, what, eight, nine movies a day? More than that, Yeah, even. because one hour and a half movie probably takes eight hours to get through. Yeah. Ugh. Bech. Bech. What about you? What are you obsessed with? Right now... Not a whole lot, to be honest. You got nothing. I don't, I don't have you? anything. I don't really have anything. We're always um, obsessed here at Weekly Neurosis. We are. I, I'd say, and it sounds really stupid, but the movie Desierto or whatever it is. What? I'm really interested. It's the Gael, whatever his name is, Bruno Garcia. You're asking the wrong guy. I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I like that. I think that's a kind of a, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I got a whole mess of nothing. Come you texted me earlier today. Oh, my life is finally getting back to normal from my crazy Yeah, that's schedule. the thing. I was like traveling a whole lot and business, business travel. So you're not obsessed with anything, which is moment. fine after being so obsessed with... I know traveling can be obsessive. It, it can, can be, it Actually, can be stressful and I'll, very neurotic. I'll say this. Um, I went to Chicago and I took the recommendation of a friend who told me to go to a place called Portillo's in Chicago. It's like an Italian sliced beef place. And I was like, no, dude, I'm I'm good. And he's like, no, you need to go. Like, you need he to go there. He just shoved a roast beef sandwich. Yeah, in and your he face. was he was like, and I I showed up there. The service was fucking horrible. It was like a diner. So you like go to the front. They like write the notes down yeah. on the bag. Of what they put you it need. on one of those like pins. No, they put it on a a paper folding bag. And what? They like throw it to this person who makes your order. And I'm like, what the fuck? And so. They wrote, they were like, what do you need? you want a soft drink? No, I don't want a soft drink. You don't want a soft drink? Yeah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't want a soft drink. Okay, fine. So you want just want uh, whatever and fries. They throw the bag back there. There's like a separate bar. So I went there and got a drink. And um, finally my order was up like 30 minutes later. And it was the best <laughs> food I've ever Worth had it. in my life. See, like they don't street have to... food. It's not like fine dining, oh, sure. chef's table type stuff. But it was like... Just straight up street food, sliced beef, amazing. That sounds amazing. It was great. When I was in, when we were in Vegas this last weekend, you had recommended a breakfast place called the Hash House. I Hash believe. House a Go Go. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, I got the. We went there, and we actually went there for breakfast. So it was like nine thirty, and you know me, I ordered a Bloody Mary. Yeah. <laughs> a cup of coffee, and I got chicken and waffles. 
That's a money combo. And it was the biggest freaking plate of food I've ever had in my life. It was like three or four waffles that had, okay, get this. They were waffles, but there was like full strips of bacon cooked into the waffles. Like the edges of the strips of bacon were like sticking out of the waffles. Then there was two fried chicken breasts that were huge. They were probably like a half a pound a piece, if not more. And there was like hardly any bone in it. There was like one little bone on the side. And it was like, they came on a big plate. There was like two sticks of wood holding it together and a giant steak knife right through the middle. And there was like all these peppers under it too. Then there was this big freaking honking thing of uh, maple syrup. I ate like a quarter of it and I thought I was going to die. I thought my stomach was going to burst open and waffle was just going to fly everywhere. <laughs> it was so good though. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. It was amazing. Because we were sitting there. We got there. And it was packed, and they were like, it's a 30-minute wait, but there's two, there's some spots at the bar. So we went and sat at the bar because waiting is for suckers. And Word. <laughs> and we so we sit at the bar, and they were, like, bringing plates of food out to people, and we were like, what the hell? They're like, because like, on the thing, it was like when you order pancakes, it's one, you get one pancake. And I'm like, well, that doesn't seem right. You should get, like, two or three. But these pancakes were, like, 20 huge. inches. They were yeah. freaking huge. It was bonkers. Ugh. Great place. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was a great place. But yeah, food. Food, man. That's that's what's up. You gotta eat good. You gotta. And I think street food's like where it's at. Like food trucks and such. Like food trucks and just down down home cooking. That's what that place is. That's like down home, like yeah. southern. And that was one stuff. of those things too with the, the, the service. It wasn't like Welcome to Hash House. We're going to serve. He was like, hey, guys, what do you guys want to drink? You guys want coffee? Whatever. And I mean, it was like, go, go, yeah. go. Yeah. You know? Quick, 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 quick. It was In great. Yeah. I like that. So I like speed. That's what I'm all about. Then you just eat three pounds of chicken and waffles. Yeah. And crawl back to your hotel room and then realize that there's like, you're going to walk the strip all day. That was my day. Yeah. <laughs> Just sweat it out, man. Yeah, it was easy on there. They have like a cocktail that that's, it has a shot of Everclear in it, and it's supposed to like mask it. It's like a big thing, but it's like it messes you up. It's not fun. I didn't do it, but I've seen people do it. They're like perfectly sober, and they drink this one drink, and they leave just black out. Hammered. Give me chicken and waffles. Yeah. So that's the train episode, man. Ooh. I have no idea what we're going to do next week. Ben Real. The accountant. Yeah, we could do that. It's, I don't know. That's a kind of feeling maybe an obsession episode. Yeah. kind of sounds a lot better than going to the theater and yeah. seeing some movie we're just half interested in I'm, seeing. I'm all about that. Oh, perfect. Let's, so, do, let's do Malik, bro. Oh, <laughs> Malik movie. I'm all about this week. This week I this week I went off about how much I love Dylan, and next week I'm going to talk about Terrence Malik. Malik. I just punched it. No, I was trying to like pull myself up. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> What's your deal, dude? I punched the table, and then my mic fell apart. Yeah, it was fine. I was trying to ignore it like a professional. Terrence Malik. Let's do a Malik and. <laughs> I don't know what you do with Malik for music. You listen to, like, Philip Glass or some experimental composer or something. Something. You listen to Lou Reed's Metal Music Machine. There's a couple, like, modern composers out there, though. We'll see. Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. Danny Elfman. (laughs) 
All right. Well, this has been the train episode. Next week, some unanimous. <laughs> something. We'll figure it out. Something. We'll figure it out, guys. All right. Weekly Neurosis. I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. Everyone, please take care. Trains, yeah. Trains, hooray. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't even do that. I can't get that excited about a train. It's just a, a coal-driven machine. <laughs> All right. We're done. Take care, everybody. <laughs>